0: Good afternoon and welcome to The Daily Digest. On The Bigger Picture, I'm Lim su and joining me today, as always, are Dashun Johan and Juliet Jacob. So it is Human Rights Day today, so we'll be reflecting on 2020. Um, we'll discuss the various human rights violations that have occurred throughout the year here in Malaysia and look at the changes that could potentially take place in 2021.
1: Yes, and we want to know what you think. So if you have any thoughts, you can send them over by tweeting us at BFM Radio. Alternatively, you can also WhatsApp 018789. Yes, so
0: Human Rights Day is observed every year on the 10th of December and that's actually the day that the United Nations General Assembly adopted the um, Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. So the UDHR is an important international document that proclaims um, the the, the inalienable rights um, which everyone is entitled to as a human being and that's regardless of race, religion, colour, creed, sex, language, political opinion, national or social origin property, birth or other status. So what's also fascinating is that this is actually the most translated document in the world as it's available in more than 500 languages.
2: That's right. And this year's theme for Human uh, Human Rights Day is Recover Better, Stand Up for Human Rights. And according to the United Nations, the theme relates to the COVID-19 pandemic and focuses on the need to address the failures of 2020, and there were plenty, and apply human rights standards to tackle entrenched systemic and intergenerate, intergenerational inequalities exclusion and discrimination. And indeed, the COVID-19 pandemic has directly or indirectly caused a surge in human rights violations all over the world, including here in Malaysia.
1: Yeah, and when we spoke to Firdaus Husni, who is the Chief Human Rights Strategist at the Malaysian Centre for Constitutionalism and Human Rights, and we spoke to her yesterday, she said that 2020 has seen Malaysia regress in terms of human rights. Uh,
3: Well, if you're looking at it from uh, a scale... Uh, in respect of uh, how Malaysia performed uh, uh, in our on our human rights front, we are stumbling a couple of steps back, and so that i would I would describe it as uh, disappointing and frustrating at the same time. <laughs>
0: So over the past um eight to nine months, I think we've seen journalists and activists repeatedly get probed and investigated by the authorities, um, and this is under various draconian acts. This includes the Sedition Act of 1948. So, um, one example: health news site Code Blue editor Busulin Lin was investigated under the under the Official Secrets Act or OSA over articles um, pertaining to a fire that broke out at the Sultana Aminah Hospital years ago in Johor Bahru. So, and then there's also the case of Malaysia Kini being charged over this comment, comments left on the News Portal's comment section um, and that was considered, uh, the comments were considered critical of the country's judiciary.
2: Yeah, but perhaps the most prominent case though, Centres Around Al Jazeera's um, Locked Up in Malaysia's lockdown documentary uh, and that was of course about migrant workers in Kuala Lumpur during COVID-19. So, journalists who worked on that documentary were investigated for sedition, defamation and violation of the country's Communications and Multimedia Act. And then of course there was Muhammad Rehan Kabir, a a Bangladeshi worker who was interviewed during that you know, documentary that I just mentioned, and he ended up being deported back to Bangladesh. You know, for the comments that he made. But here's what Fredaos thinks about the problem.
3: As you've rightly pointed out, the violation of that uh, freedom is something that we see happening throughout 2020. Uh, uh, yes, you are right, and the uh, harassment on journalists is just one of the many instances that we see uh, that we see happening. What What can we do about this uh, moving forward Uh, to me is to continue uh, at the moment uh, is to continue uh, uh, for civil society, uh, our public advocacy on uh, raising awareness on this. And we must uh, continue to tell the public that yes, freedom of expression is not absolute. Nobody is saying that it is absolute. Uh, Yes, you may... Uh, place restrictions on our freedom of expression but that restriction uh, must be questioned in terms of whether it is necessary whether it is reasonable whether it is legitimate whether it is proportionate to the aim that you know that they say they want to uh, achieve and by doing that uh, then we can ensure that our constitutionally guaranteed freedom of expression uh, is safeguarded because if we have these problematic laws in place, then you cannot uh, effectively exercise uh, your freedom of expression. So we, we we must continue asking questions where the restrictions uh, 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 are not uh, along the line of what is uh, permitted under the International Human Rights Standards.
2: Yes, and on top of that, many have also called for the abolishment of the Official Secrets Act and the Internal Security Act once and for all.
1: That's right. But another issue that needs addressing is that of prison reform. So back in November, the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, which is Suhakam, estimated that prisons and detention centres nationwide have exceeded their intended capa- capacity by at least 40%, which increases the risk of COVID-19. In fact, we've had multiple instances of COVID-19 clusters breaking out in prisons because of this overcrowding.
0: Yes, in fact, and this is an issue that you know has been talked about by activists and some parliamentarians uh, for Example, YB Nuru Iza and YB Said Sadiq, even before the COVID 19 pandemic, uh, many have pointed out that more than 50% of Malaysian prisoners are non violent drug offenders, which is a problem in and of itself, as consumption of drugs should be seen as a health issue rather than a crime. So, Firdau says that when it comes to prison reform, there are a couple of serious issues that need addressing.
3: There's a number of uh, issues, but I would say, uh, you know, uh, maybe two. Uh, uh most pressing issue that i can see at the moment is uh one overcrowding uh, of uh, the prison itself uh the condition uh, of the prison in the sense that whether or not uh for example uh within uh, you know this pandemic whether or not it uh, it complies with the need for um, social distancing for example uh and then thirdly this is from uh, my last experience when I was in the legal profession, I was uh, representing the Bar Council in a public inquiry into uh, a case concerning death and custody. And one of the things that was discovered during that process was that there was no CCTV. In the uh, investigation room, and then when that question was asked by uh, the commissioner as to why was there no CCTV, they said, "Oh, there was no funding." And so, to me, that reflects a, a lack of priority uh, in uh, making sure that uh, our uh, prison prison supports uh, the right to, you know, health of uh, the uh, inmates, specifically on non-violent uh, drug offenders. Uh, to me, this is Uh, uh, it reflects on how uh, we as a society and also uh, the government of the day uh, looks at uh, drug issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, those uh, who are, uh, you know, who who are considered as non-violent drug offenders, these are patients. These are patients who need the right treatment uh, to be able to uh, get them to uh, recover from their drug addiction Uh, but instead some of these uh, non-violent drug offenders not some many actually they are arrested and thrown into jail several times Uh, you know when uh, at the same time uh, what they want is to try to get their life back on track so last time uh, I, as part of the initiative under the National Legal Aid Fund, I actually uh, volunteered to do some of the remand hearing uh, for some of these uh, offenders, and it is really, if you if you see the numbers uh, as to how many got arrested uh, daily, uh, to me it reflects the uh, our our mindset on how we treat drugs. Uh, addiction as, you know, it it, we see as an offence, not as a health problem that should be treated.
2: Yes, and this next issue that we're going to talk about is something that many, myself included, um, find very difficult to wrap our heads around. So suicide, or perhaps more accurately, attempted suicide is still a crime in Malaysia. And according to Section 309 of the Malaysian Penal Code, and I'm quoting here, whoever attempts to commit suicide and does um, any act toward the commission of such offence shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to one year or with fine or with both. And you know, this is a law that still exists in Malaysia and for example, a 38-year-old disabled man from Trunganu was arrested last December for attempting suicide and was sentenced to six months in prison in February. And there's the other case of the 24-year-old Malaysian, you. Kasin, who attempted suicide three years ago after failing to cope with the immense pressure of having to care for her cancer-stricken mother while she was unemployed. And she was fined, on top of being unemployed, she was fined two thousand ringgit by the court for her actions.
0: Yeah, and it's important to note that while the law isn't enforced consistently, the fact that every now and then someone is charged as a criminal for attempting suicide is ridiculous. Um, suicide should be seen as a mental health issue, not a crime. So we asked Fridaos why it was a challenge to get Bipartisan interest and support from MPs when it seems like such a straightforward matter.
3: Well, I wish I had the answer, to that. <laughs> uh, but the last uh, development on this was when uh, the late Datuk Virgilio was around. He it was announced was it in two thousand nineteen or or even as early as this year uh, that. The the uh, reform process uh, working on the amendment to be tabled was already at the AG's uh, chambers, uh, at the drafting division, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, and so it was. This is one of uh, the reform where it's a case of you know so near yet so far because <laughs> with uh, uh, the recent passing of uh, the late Dr. Uh, V.K. we have not heard any further development on this uh, and so it's good that now more and more people are talking about it and especially uh, within the context of the pandemic they are even you know uh, even more pressing need that we do something uh, about this uh, as to why aren't we doing this earlier uh, it's really to me it's really down to a political uh, will and this is a situation where the more people talk about it, the more it, it, it gets a spotlight, uh, uh, the more momentum that, uh, that has created to push the government to actually do something about it.
1: Yeah, and 2020 also saw the continued push to abolish the death penalty. On the 29th of August last year, the Pakatan Harapan government set up a special committee to study different forms of punishment to replace the death penalty. Earlier, uh, Early this year, the late Dato uh, Liu VK, who was in charge of legal affairs in the Prime Minister's department, said that the ministry would soon be reviewing the study and a decision would soon be made. And many activists were then hopeful that the death penalty will indeed be abolished, much like many progressive countries around the world. But as we know, the Pakatan Harapan government uh, fell around that time and it looks like everything right uh, is up in the air right now. But the question is, why is it important and necessary to abolish the death penalty?
3: One would be that uh, it is recognised uh, in the international human rights standards and principles that everyone, everyone has the uh, right to life. Uh, that is one, and then uh, second, this goes back to what I earlier said about uh, purpose. Uh, whether or not, uh, if uh, we implement death penalty, if the purpose here is deterrence, uh, does the crime rate uh, with respect to that offense actually goes down? Go go down because uh, death penalty was implemented. Uh, this, you know, has not has not been clearly proven. To have a direct relation to death penalty. So, another thing that we must also appreciate is that when in meeting up the punishment of death penalty, we, we can never guarantee a 100% situation where uh, uh, only the guilty ones will uh, uh, be uh, sentenced. That's to death. right. There have been situations in which innocent ones. Uh, an innocent one get get that punishment. And so uh, and so in that situation where we cannot have a guarantee, and you're talking about someone's life here, uh, I would rather we abolish this uh, to ensure everyone's right to life.
1: Yes, of, of course. But there are also those who will argue that a couple of innocent lives are worth the sacrifice as long as it serves the so-called bigger picture, right? So we asked Firdaus what she would say to these people.
3: Well, if that's the kind of thinking that we have, then how does that make us any different than the person that we we want to send to uh you know to 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 the gallop pole? I don't see how the whole situation with you know the uh, how that person uh the com having committed the act, how does that give us now uh, uh a bit more right and elevated right to then decide the life of that person? Uh, that's how I see it.
2: And of course, it's impossible to talk about human rights in Malaysia in 2020 without talking about the situation faced by refugees. So a number of journalists and activists were investigated by the authorities for speaking out on the alleged mistreatment of refugees throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Problem is here in Malaysia, we have not ratified the 1951 Refugee Convention, and therefore, um, you know, we don't have an official asylum system regulating the status and rights of refugees. So without a proper legal framework, it tends to be a major challenge to, I guess, you know, criticise or hold the government accountable for their actions. However, Ferdows does say that it's an import, it's very, very important to protect their rights nonetheless.
3: Yes, you are right, Malaysia has yet to ratify the UN Convention uh, on Refugees. But it doesn't mean uh, all hope is lost with regards to, you know, the, the protection of their life, uh, liberty, safety and security here in Malaysia. We must remember that uh, in our Federal Constitution, Article 5 sets out, uh, it sets out how everyone and, 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 and not every Malaysian but actually everyone is uh, entitled to their right to life and liberty and that should include the migrants and refugees community as well. As to what we can do, as I'm sure many of us have seen from the conversation on social media, they are also a theory that some of these conversations are manufactured for political reasons. If we see that, if we see that pattern happening, call out that pattern because, and this is very ironic and infuriating at the same time. If you ask me, because not too long ago, the uh, uh, migrants, uh, the undocumented migrants, uh, the pride of the Rohingyas, was being highlighted. By the political party uh, as something that they are advocating and therefore must support. This was a couple of years ago, but now that you know uh, the political parties are, are using the same community uh, but turning their back against them, turning, turning their back against their very own words and demonize. Uh, this community its infuriating because you're talking about uh, individuals, uh, you're talking about human beings who is entitled to right to seek asylum. And this is an interna- uh, internationally recognized human rights that everyone has the right to seek asylum where that person is uh, or faces the risk of persecution in their own country. And that is what's happening with the Rohingya uh, community uh, over in uh, Myanmar. And so, therefore, as members of the international community, we must recognise this right uh, to seek asylum.
0: So, we then also asked Firdaus what she thought of the argument that some make um, that you know, this increase in refugees and migrants also mean the loss of jobs for Malaysian citizens or that refugees are here to use up uh, our resources.
3: Uh, well, we, we need to check ourselves in the sense that whether or not those Perspective and views comes from a place of xenophobia, whether or not it comes for a, uh, from a place of uh, manufactured fear and propaganda, and we 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 must instill in you know uh, uh, within as many uh, Malaysians out there that everyone uh, has the right to life, have, has a right to dignity, and you know has as essentially everyone has the human right to be treated equally just as another human being. And what makes us different than uh, the migrant and the refugee community is a couple of documents really, but at the end of the day, all of us are human beings and all of us are entitled to the same right uh, just as the next person.
0: So there are many studies that show that immigrants and refugees rarely ever take away job opportunities from citizens of that country. In fact, people from these communities often fill the gaps in the labour market doing jobs that citizens often don't want.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I guess in a nutshell, 2020 hasn't exactly been the best of years in Malaysia as far as human rights go. However, we believe that things can be better. And so does Firdaus. When asked what's on a 2021 human rights wish list, she had this to say.
3: Well, my hope for 2021 is that all the uh, i hope all the law and policy reform work mm. which had been underway before the political takeover uh, early this February i hope those work uh, would not go to waste you know if it is if it is for the uh, uh, for the bre- uh, better and stronger protection of human rights in malaysia doesn't matter who sits in the government let's continue that work and the civil society uh, being a member of uh, as, uh, of the civil society uh, you know we are we would be uh, 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 we would be really welcoming of any opportunities to be able to continue our work uh, on this, so that is uh, you know my hope for twenty twenty one. If you are talking about uh, pressing issues, actually there are a lot, uh, and some of these are you know in the uh, current national conversation. So one being uh, our treatment uh, of the refugee and migrants community. Another is the decriminalization of suicide. And uh, another one that is also in the current spotlight would be the issue concerning uh, right to nationality. Uh, I think that there is a pressing need for us to work on that.
1: Mm. So I love that. Firdaus brought up the sexual harassment bill, which we have done a number of shows on, and also the rights of uh, Malaysian women to confer their nationality to their children. So we have a very gendered and discriminatory law in that regard. As Malaysian women who marry foreigners aren't allowed to confer their nationality to their children, but Malaysian men who marry foreigners can.
2: Yeah. So there are loads of human rights violations which took place in the country this year. Um, many of which are quite alarming. But hopefully, 2021 will see us take at least a few steps forward. But I think what's important to say is also that while the pandemic may have brought out the worst in some, right, mm. um, I think it also brought out the best in many others because, you know, we saw people coming together in solidarity. Mm. We saw them providing aid to the less fortunate, you know, speaking up against, you know, all the vitriol, all the xenophobia that, that was so present. So I think, you know, there was a, well, I don't know if it's a balance, but at mm. least, you know, the the bad brought out the good as well.
0: Yes, and I guess hopefully, you know, this exposing of the bad will help to, shed light on these inequalities that have already been existing in our society for years Mm. and hopefully by realizing but by having this pandemic expose all these inequalities politicians people civil society will um, you know will move forward better to plan and to create a society and to enforce to sorry to introduce laws that are you know perhaps will (coughs) fix all these gaps that exist Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and you know actually i think you've You made me think a little differently when you brought up how there's also good happening. (laughs) Because I think I often, a lot of us do, that we tend to forget. Mm. we always like with these downer stories Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. that it's sort of just like sort of live in a warped reality sometimes that, you know, it's all bad all the time. And so when it's nice to be reminded that, you know, actually, there are good stuff, that good stuff that came out of it also. Like, you know, people pushed back against the negativity.
0: Yes. And hopefully, you know, we'll see a lot more good come 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you can keep tweeting us your thoughts if you have any you want to share with us that's at BFM Radio you can also WhatsApp us at 18 if you want to get in touch directly with us at uh, The Bigger Picture you can do so on Facebook um, just search for BFM The Bigger Picture unfortunately that's all the time we have for this segment and you know if you missed something that we said earlier you can always catch the podcast again um, later today at bfm.my slash daily digest also on the BFM app as well as there's other places where you might get your podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Now, coming up at 3pm, we'll be airing one of the podcasts from 2020, uh, 2020's Georgetown Literary Festival, where Pauline Fan will be speaking to the distinguished poet and translator Pierre Joris. Um, and both of them will be discussing the work of Paul Celan, uh, one of the greatest poets of the 20th century, to mark the centenary of his birth. So you want to stay tuned to that after the news. Um, that's all from us here on The Daily Digest today. This has been The Bigger Picture.